Welcome to Swords Against Humanity podcast, the place where the modern study of the ancient art of swordplay, pop culture, current events, and mental health awareness intersect. I'm your host, Jana Datahan. This is another installment of the Toll of Tournament. In this episode, Fran Laquata, Kristen Argyle, and Thierry Fleckier-Wathen spill the tea with me about our experiences in the HEMA community. We also discuss our thoughts on light swords and tournament culture. This episode was recorded 3rd of February, 2024, in the United States of America. Hello, welcome to the podcast. This is John It's been a while since I've done one of these. It's been almost a year, but we are back and I have... For my first episode of the year, three really, really amazing people from HEMA. Um, I've got Fran, Thierry, and Kristen. Um, let's introduce our guest, Fran. Go Hello. ahead, since you're always in my thing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Fran. Uh, I am lead instructor of School of the Sword Godwarming chapter in the UK. And the founder of By the Sword... Um, events and uh podcasts welcome welcome it's always a pleasure to have you and then we have kristen hi i'm kristen argyle uh i ran true edge academy the salt lake branch for gosh seven or eight years um and i've been doing hema for almost 10 now if not a little over 10 um mostly the german stuff but you know uh bouncing to whatever seems interesting um yeah and i started shit on the internet i guess (laughs) that's what they're famous for yeah (laughs) and we have the fabulous thierry hello uh i'm thierry i am one of the instructors at the vanguard center in glasgow uh i main british military swordsmanship but dabble in everything and um I am known for not taking things seriously in serious fighting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we are here today. Um, I thought that it would be a really great time to start the year with, um, I guess, like the biggest drama of the week, which is, um, well, we'll we'll start with uh, the HEMA tea time, right? Um, So Kristen is uh, one of my instructors um, here in Utah. She's become a really good friend. Um, but she had made a post uh, um, on Hemo World Domination, and it blew up. A lot of people got upset. A lot of people agreed. But it centered around a critique on tournaments and safety and our, um, I guess, our intentions when people go into these type of events. Um, and then recently, two months ago, somebody wrote a Patreon about it. I'm not going to butcher their name, but I'm pretty sure um, people who, who listen to this will find out which one it was because it's been shared by some prominent HEMA people. Um, but yeah, Kristen, start with the tea, girl. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the first place, uh, the, it seems to frame my words as kind of trying to heal some HEMA tribal war. 
that that is not that is not the case. I, I was I did not write my post to try to make everybody feel valid or to try to soothe anybody. No, I was pissed off. I was angry. Um, what my intention was, you know, first writing it was I need to get all these thoughts out of my head. And then I posted it because I thought, well, maybe somebody needs to hear this or maybe somebody, maybe people feel similar. And I called it, um, should we take Hema seriously? Because to me, that is, it, it's one of those things where people in Hema want to be taken seriously. We are a very new, relatively speaking, martial arts, sport, whatever you want to think of it as. Uh, project and the double meaning was supposed to be we take tournaments very seriously we take you know what they mean very seriously but we don't always take the safety very seriously we don't always take why we're even doing it very seriously we don't take what it might be doing you know to the culture very seriously and just kind of my thought vomit about all of it that was just, you know, the, the simmering thing finally exploding. Right, right. Because to me, there is a lot of absurdity in how seriously we take tournaments on the, oh, well, should there be afterblow? Should there be right of way? Should, should hands be worth more than head? And like, just, just so like hours, hours of discussion. Mm -hmm. Like when we were trying to put together slow. Uh, Salt Lake Open, but not the stuff like, you know, a safety officer per ring. How do we, how do we make sure people see thrusts? Should we make sure, you know, how, how, how do we make sure people see slices? How do we make sure somebody who's concussed doesn't keep competing? How do we, um, you know, how do we verify or make sure that masks really are up to the task? Mm -hmm. do we need more than just an EMT uh, mm -hmm. certified on like like those sorts of questions that are very boring and very adult but like would be something a real not amateur sport would be you know have to consider right mm -hmm. right I, I definitely agree because I was surprised because we were talking about that when before you made the post um and I was surprised about the reaction, the mixed reaction. It was, but mostly like the majority of the reaction was a lot of people were upset about what you said. And it didn't make sense to me because, you know, I, I, I competed for like a year, right? I went to multiple mm -hmm. tournaments. I got a really bad concussion. And then another one after that, like three months later, and I haven't been fine since. Um, and, you know, and that's why I thought that it would, this is the right time to address it because, you know, when, whenever, and, and I'm going to bring up the, the topic of tone policing right away is because the first thing that I saw was people questioning who you are and why you are saying these things. There's always like that, like, you know, the few people who say, well, they're not competing. So why are they weighing in? Right. Mm -hmm. When you have. And organized you know, tournaments, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fucking organizer. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And, I was on the committee. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And and to me, like as someone who's experienced 
you know, like, and again, like I remember when, when, when I started HEMA and Fran was like, how's been your experience? I'm like, I just love it here. Everybody's so nice. And Fran was like, oh, my sweet summer child. Like, girl, I get that now. I get exactly (laughs) what you're saying now. I really get it. Like, I, you know, like I, you know, I've, I've seen things that I'm just sitting here just fucking appalled with the stuff that I'm reading and, you know, the way that I've been talked down to, the way I've been questioned, um, you know, I've, I, I compete, but I've never gotten a medal. I, I, you know, I, it, it's never really something that I care for. That's why I'm always, I, people didn't know who I am because I have medals. I just talk a lot on the internet, you know? <laughs> but, um, yeah, and so the only, the, the reason I'm bringing up the tool in policing is because Kristen and I were talking about these topics and I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that was during the time that I wanted to keep competing. Um, And so, you know, I didn't feel that it was a slight toward the tournament scene. I thought that, yeah, you know, we need to talk about this more because it will just enhance and make it even a safer experience if we can, you know, at least try to make it even safer because there has been, you know, like moments where I was very hurt and it was, it, it really changed my my personal life outside of the ring, you know, going back to what we always say, right? Like for the majority of us, it's a hobby, right? We go back to our kids, to our families, to our day jobs. I firsthand like um, experienced that. Like I had to go to school and it made school very hard. And I didn't realize how TBIs can affect so much. Like I have a hard time speaking in English these days. I have to search for words. I would type something and I would be like, wait, that's not what I was thinking, but why does it come why is it coming out like this? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's 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 very frustrating. Um and what I notice is that whenever someone talks about um the the tournament scene or safety in particular and be just critical about it, but objectively, they still get just attacked especially Mm -hmm. online and then this is why I also don't engage with people online I've said this before I'm gonna put out my thoughts I'm gonna you know like say these things and the people who share my perspective or have a similar experience they'll take some value from that but I never want to engage people who will just tell me that well that's not my experience Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's a lot of arguing in bad faith Yeah. yeah yeah Um, just on the internet in general, but uh, HEMA is definitely not immune to it. And there's a lot of, I don't know, what what I would read between the lines and say is insecurity. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, why, why are people acting, you know, so like, so enraged or so outraged about these things? It's like, well, maybe I, maybe just something hit a nerve. Yeah. Because if you're totally secure and you think tournaments are great and everything, there's, there's really no reason to be threatened by a nobody, you know, who, what, I haven't got, hasn't meddled in three or four years or something. I don't know. Most of my medals were spur of the moment things. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll compete. <laughs> what a flex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I placed last in rapier, so that was funny. That um, was very funny. <laughs> uh, and this kind of reminds me of uh, what Fran and I were talking about um I've been really lucky and you know I'm like the 
the baby in the group always um because you know Fran was talking about like it took her like a decade to realize okay maybe this I'm, I'm done like this isn't you know for me anymore it took me like a year of yeah. just like competing for me to say mm, I don't know I feel like I need to you know to punch the brakes on this one and to me I, I feel like I've I, I'm, I've been very privileged because I know someone you know I know so many people who have a, a bit more like balanced view um because I've you know I've never been like discouraged for me as someone who's still new to the scene especially tournaments I've only done this like a year it felt to me that it was the next step in HEMA like as from the perspective of someone who's new because that's all I could see is that my peers were all competing your peers your instructors your Mm -hmm. yeah the people who've been training a long time everybody yeah, mm-hmm. like I needed to get my gear. I, you know, you kind of do get a little bit left out if you don't have your whole gear. It feels like, um, I mean, you can do a lot with sort, you know, with a sword and a mask and gloves, but you know, there is that like feeling of being left out. You know, when you see all of your friends like in their full gear and they're all sparring, and it looks really fun. Um, but to me, like as a, a, a newbie. Um, I thought that the tournament scene was the the path, um, and you know, and, and also I have a lot of people like asking me like constantly like, oh, am I going to see you at an event? Are you happy with what you're doing just now? This was before I started competing. Are you happy with just not competing? Um, and I get that on all fronts, like in all like you know outlets of social media that I'm in. There's always that person who's asking me um, if I'm competing. And so in my head, that kind of just like solidified the idea that for me, like this is the next step. Like I got to start like getting my gear together and, you know, register and travel. Yeah. And I mean, you know, as somebody who was your instructor for, you know, parts of that or probably towards more the tail end, that it was, and I was like slowly starting to cool down on it as I, you know, went to tournaments again because I had two kids so um, I wasn't competing as much but as I noticed that yeah it's like this doesn't feel like it did the first time I did this and noticing you know more of the stress and more of like how how seriously people were taking it yeah um and realizing that you know one of the things is like I'm I'm the person that would have get my gear together for the tournament like the night before. Like that's how that's how seriously I took it. Maybe a lot of that is self sabotage. I don't know. I'm not a person that you know goes in to win things because I assume I'm not going to. But uh, just just watching you go through all of that that was part of what really was fertilizing all those seeds of doubt in my mind because you know one day I sat down and realized hey wait. I've never had my gear together. I like, I don't open, I don't spar during open time, like hardly ever because I've always had issues with my gear issues. I could maybe get over if I enjoyed it, but I realized maybe there's something about just sparring anybody in the club that I am deeply uncomfortable with and don't want to do. And so not having my gear kind of helps me avoid that. Right. And that was one of those like, Oh no, moments yeah 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 so it's 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 been it's been like eye-opening and you know like Fran and I had 
I have had so many like heart to hearts with Fran about this because, you know, it, it goes back to like validity, right? Like I felt like, you know, I was getting like, you know, I was, I was getting recognized and, and I'm like, well, what do, what do I do? Right. Like, and I, I'm looking around and everybody's competing. So I'm like, I guess I'm going to start competing. (laughs) And it's how a lot of sports and martial arts work. Yeah, there isn't really this path to tell you that you can just enjoy the community. Because mm-hmm. uh, when I first became a permanent instructor, I I think it was on, um, I can't remember which humor page it was on, but I got a post with a screenshot of my um, Instagram page saying, oh, I've not seen this person at tournaments in the last six months. Is this a legit instructor? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Ten years. Forgive me for taking a break that lasted your whole EMA career. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they're, they're, people should be aware that, like, half the reason I do this is I love nerds. Mm-hmm. And... There are quite a few people who I know who the whole point of this is enjoying a class, going out for a drink with a bunch of nerds afterwards. Mm-hmm. But there is this whole pressure of being seen as valid. And like, I, I know I'm not immune to it. Um, but there, there is a lot of insecurity and admittedly slightly guilty here because uh, I've been competing for like eight, seven, eight years now. Mm-hmm. For the past five years, I've consistently come fourth place in at least half the competitions I enter. Um, but the the whole concept of being seen as your worth is in your medals is very silly. Puts a lot of pressure on new senses. Yeah, and it separates out who who has value. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen that like manifest in the emotional turmoil of some of the people I know in HEMA. That I know, you know, have knowledge. But you know, they're just stuck in the idea that, like, okay, like we gotta have like these credentials in order for people to respect me. Yeah. And I've seen people talk about this, like, like in their own, like, you know, like in conversations on on their on their social media posts, and it it makes me sad. It really does. Yeah. And, yes. you know, you also get the opposite people who, you know, they've been doing HEMA, what, six months a year. Mm-hmm. They go and they do well in a tournament because they're a young, fit guy and there's advantages to being a young, fit guy. Um, and they do really well or maybe even medal. And suddenly, you know, they they they, they think that they've they've reached the, the epitome or, you know, that they're they're ready. They're ready to start instructing now. Right. Right. <laughs> Friend, what are your thoughts on that being an, a season event organizer? I'm really sorry. It went uh, the whole thing was cut out completely then, so I, I didn't hear what was said. Can someone summarize for me? <laughs> oh, you know the the young guy that competed once and got a medal and is now ready to be an instructor. Oh and have yeah, a Patreon him. And... 
Yeah, it's always a him, isn't it? Um, and, Most and then of you, the time. Then you've got women who've been and, and AFABs who've been doing HEMA for over a that would still describe themselves as beginners, probably quite rightly, because mm-hmm. um, we're yeah. all still learning. Um, yeah, I think um, folks place far too much stock in cheap pieces of metal that you can just buy for i think they cost something like 70p um when we bought a load of them uh in bulk uh for the wessex league um it worked out that but yeah it's being being us an instruct i i have some medals uh i don't compete anymore but i i this reminds me of you've some of you might remember a page on Facebook called uh, Confessions and Crushes. Mm-hmm. And, a, you know, it was a very funny page. Like A lot of the confessions were hilarious, but uh, there was a lot of, there was a, there was a dark side to the coin as well. And some of the, some of the stuff, you know, the majority of the stuff the guy couldn't publish because it was very dark. Uh-huh. Some things which were just heartbreaking. And this was people multiple times. I remember reading people saying, I'm a, I've been a seasoned instructor. I've got a great club. Love my students. Um, I think I'm a good fencer, but I cannot shake the feeling that I'm not a proper instructor because I've never won a tournament and I really want to win something. You know, that will make me feel like, you know, that will shake off the imposter syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, as, as someone who has won tournaments, I can I can tell you that it doesn't. <laughs> the, the, no. the, the, it doesn't shake off the imposter syndrome because, like you said, like Kristen said, you know, I just won those tournaments. I just won those medals because I was lucky, or I, um, you know, I did it on a. I did I did I did the competition on a whim. I didn't even mean to enter. I didn't do any preparation. So, you know, mm-hmm. it just happened. You know, um, and when you win stuff, you. I think people very rarely feel like they deserve to win. They all yeah. feel like it's the luck of the draw, and to an extent, it is. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because fidelity no. in tournaments, like it. I mean, it's kind of a joke. Yeah. Um, and this is another thing that people, I think, hits nerves when I say, "Well, the judging is terrible." Yes, I've been a judge. Being a judge sucks. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. But there is actually no physical way we could have judges that would be good enough. Like, yeah. Things I, happen I, way too fast. You know, most good, most good judging is anticipation and mm-hmm. that's going to miss stuff still. Right. I, I've, I, I, I judged one time and it was a rapier and dagger tournament between two seasoned fencers. And I was traumatized from it because I could not see anything. Yeah. They just kept washing the exchanges and it got to the point where they threw the director and us line judges out of the tournament because the fencers were getting mad. They were also not self-calling. Yeah. Um, so it was, it, you know, I, I definitely, you know, having, you know, I, I've seen, you know, being, I, it gave me a different perspective though because there was, you know, a moment where I felt really frustrated when I'm at a tournament and they're not seeing that I got them, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it because I'm not hitting harder, the sword didn't bend enough, right? At whatever, like, angle they require. That yeah. I literally cannot see the point with success from their... With judging, from their yeah. judging is harder than fencing. It, 
it so is it really is skill and it takes years to learn how mm-hmm. to do it as well years and years and years right. of watching fights watching and watching and watching fights over and over mm-hmm. again to get your eye in um and, the, and right. what they typically do at the at events is they just grab people and go right you go and judge that people who may that's, not have any experience in that weapon yeah that's literally me because i was like i'm not like i'm supposed to just table like i didn't sign up to be a judge and they were like well it's gonna be between you and this other guy who is less experienced than you are and i'm like okay like i and i did it once for like one pool and i never came back i'm like i'm not coming back from doing this yeah because i felt like i'm i felt like i'm doing a disservice to the people that i'm judging as well mm. yeah and the thing is i mean I, I think most people agree you know maybe they don't rapier dagger small sword you know these very thrust centric oriented things mm-hmm. like or that's the only way to get a point is by thrusting yeah well those seem to be the hardest to see. And then we look at longsword, and it's like, okay, well, how many, how many times do we score cuts? Okay, it seems we score cuts a lot more than thrusts. Could it be that thrusts are just really hard to see? And so yeah. people winning are going to do less thrusts. Yeah. And, and, then, and then the whole argument that, oh, well, tournaments are about testing the art, yada, yada, kind of go out the window because, you know, if, if you're told in your, your, your source material that the point is the center and the thrust is, you know, the, the way to kill somebody or what have you. The, the tournament is, you're just statistically less likely to be able to get points for those behaviors, for those techniques. Yeah. It's not testing anything. <laughs> no. I mean, I think one of the reasons people get very upset uh, when tournament is criticized is because of the amount of investment that they've put in themselves. Yeah emotionally financially temporally you know i've been doing this for years i've been organizing this for years this is my idea don't quit you know i've spent so long perfecting this how dare you question it you know i've been i deserve to win all those medals you you casting that into doubt it's people take it very personally Mm -hmm. Um, and i think we we can afford as a community to to detach ourselves emotionally from the status quo and just look at it objectively and say yeah is this the best way that we can do this are you know my my sort of thought experiment i like to do when it comes to this stuff is i look at our sword brethren in this sort of sword adjacent alternative realities like fca sports fencing boho mm-hmm. and how, what's their attitude to competition how do you know and safety and you know mm-hmm. how how do they do things like if you were to sign if you were to join a sports fencing club they would be you know or like I when I joined the BJJ club they're like right we want to win medals as a club we want to we are a competitive team that's our goal. So we're all going to work towards winning stuff and do right. like we're going to take, you know, we're going to go, we'll take the best strategies and we'll learn how to be, all going to learn how to be great fighters, fencers, whatever. You look at Boher, you know, it's a similar kind of thing. You are expected to compete, whatever. You look at the SCA, it's, it's very different and they got very, you know, probably because fencing is only part of. Um, the whole community um, 
but then again it's the same as us um competition isn't everything and this is what we keep trying to sort of emphasize is Mm -hmm. it's all valid and it's not like competition is the best thing and one reason for that it's not like competition is the most the, the pinnacle of our art and one reason for that is because there is doubt about whether we're doing it right right are mm-hmm. we doing the best are we doing the best by our community and are we doing the best by you know the memory of all those masters that we're just, we're claiming to try and emulate um yeah i mean yeah. well I think a fair amount of it can be put down to the people we're trying to emulate because one thing that I've noticed with my students is a lot of them have anxiety over tournaments. Yeah. But I I have, of course, the, the imposter syndrome of stressing that I'm not good enough to teach. But... One of the one of the masters that I followed was an exhibition fighter. So my mindset in a tournament isn't medals. My mindset is make them remember me. Yeah, that's um, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I really like to put that thing of like make them talk about you after the fight, mm-hmm. as that should be your goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that. I, I'm on the same boat as you because I don't get any medals, but you know, it, it feels good when people like watch me fence and then other people go, that was fun. You, you know, you, you lost, but you know, you gave, you, you made me earn that. You know what I mean? Like I, and I've gotten that from different, like I've, I've gotten in small sword, I've gotten that in long sword and, you know, I my, honestly, I, I feel like my mingle was like to see to, to have people say, "Hey, you're really fun to fight." Like, can we, you know, let's let I want to fight you. Um, and I feel like that's made it easier for me to just kind of like step back. Um, but again, that's like my own like you know like personal journey, and I know that some people are on the opposite side of that. Yeah. Well, and it it gives us the insight that not everybody is there to meddle and not everybody, you know, for like, you know, a tournament, if you really boil it down, it's like, oh, well, it's to find three medalists. That That is its goal. Mm-hmm. And then whatever other rules it puts in place to find those, there they are. But right. if nobody actually cares about finding medalists, if it's about, you know, showing your best art, if it's about finding good fights, and if it's about, you know, being able to have that spontaneity of I did not expect someone to do X Y Z, you know, seeing stuff that you don't see in your own club, then we can start to look at and maybe build something different because the current tournament thing is just really not appealing to a lot of people, and I think a lot of people go to tournaments for a lot for not tournament reasons. Yeah, I mean, I, I go, the I tournament gets to, in the way. Yeah, I love going to tournaments. Like, I, I I'm sad that I'm not I've, I've chosen to step back because I love seeing my friends. Like, I love fencing new people. Um, you know, because everybody's on the internet right now, so it's like you go to a tournament in a different city or a different state, and you see the people that you've been chatting with. 
you know mm-hmm. like I'm starting to meet the people who I started talking to when I first started during the pandemic and mm-hmm. it's such an exciting time and you get to like play with them with swords but and that's that what I love that about tournaments that isn't what's drawing yeah that's what's drawing you to the event it's not the tournament that's drawing you in it's the people yeah because you know, if it I, was just like a get together where we mm-hmm. could just do sparring it, you'd be just as happy yeah but the thing is like when you like what you were saying you put in so much time and you know money into something like this like why would you not like the the logical my my my, my quote unquote logical brain is like why would you not compete you're paying to be there mm-hmm. um and so, you know, and, and, and technically, like, I can go to these tournaments and just spectate and support my friends. But, you know, at the same time, it's really painful to see um, some of the practices in terms of safety. And, you know, people who are listening, you know that, you know, Fran and I have talked about this to death. Like, you know, we talk about, like, equity at tournaments. We talk about safety. Are we doing enough, right? But I've seen things that I'm just like, how is this okay? How is this even, like, legal? Um, so, and, and, and I've decided to just, like, save myself the emotional turmoil and just cheer from the sidelines at the moment and maybe pursue events that don't necessarily focus on tournaments because I do miss the the friendship the camaraderie you know mm-hmm. and, and, and the, the, the the playfulness right yeah it's um what is it that's that self-fulfilling thing or the it's like its own creature so the tournament takes up resources and time as if it was a living entity and yeah. and detracts from other things you know the event could be about or could be doing yeah it is it is kind of a greedy energy intensive thing and part of it is because it's so simple it's oh pools okay now brackets okay now we have our three medalists hooray rather yeah. than it gets squishy when it's like okay pickup fights okay you know maybe a workshop okay you know coached coach sparring it's like that's all a little less uh structured right yeah yeah there should be an emphasis on both because mm-hmm. this should be the very competitive event. But also there's, um, for example, uh, Collins event in um, Kings of the North. The tournament there is very good, but silly. And there should be an emphasis on having silly tournaments. And can you but- imagine a West Coast silly tournament, Jonna? Oh my God, that's what we've been plotting this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, an event in Austria called Drain, Drain Event. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very workshop focused. Mm-hmm. And the the organize, the kind of culture there is not very, you know, they, you don't hear about tournaments in, in Austria and Germany. I'm, I'm sure they happen. But for this particular event, they're not, pro tournament they have a competition and mm-hmm. again it is a silly tournament I right. think you, have to, you have to wear a hat or something um yeah. but that they, they they are very <laughs> consciously not taking it too seriously mm-hmm. and i feel um, like yeah there should be I, I feel like there should be more space for whimsy <laughs> yeah or even just shrinking the tournament's uh reach you know 
and how we, you know the emphasis placed on it. Yeah. Or even just whether whether an event needs a competition or a tournament component because a competition and a tournament are two different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, or I I have I'm in the process of organizing the the thirtieth event that I've organized. Um, and it's a workshop event. Um, yeah, it's Kimmy and Amelia teaching Fury. Oh yes, yes, plug um, it in. Yeah, so yeah, plug plug. Uh, that's coming up in next month. Uh, next month, 9th of March in the UK. Uh, a Fury extravaganza. Ooh, with, uh, fancy. Kimmy Roseblade and Amelia Skimmer doing Abraxare and uh, Amitsare respectively. So that's unarmed and dagger, but. My point is, what the event, the main event that I've organised in recent years is by the sword, and mm-hmm. it's a two-day weekend event for women and non-binary folks. And day one is wall-to-wall workshops, free play. I don't call it sparring; I call it free play to keep the word play in there. I think words mm-hmm. are important. Better and then day two is competition. Is two competitions a um, it's mixed weapon as all. It was always mixed weapons. So you'd have boffer tournament for beginners. So it's minimal gear. You're fighting with boffers, and you either are doing saber or longsword. It's luck of the draw, whatever you get for your your uh, fight. And then the steel competition is again mixed, uh, mixed paired weapons. So you you might be fighting rapier versus rapier. You might be doing saber versus saber, or you might be doing um, uh, longsword versus longsword. Um, but the the day two, the competition day was so labor intensive mm-hmm. and it took so much out of me as an organizer. I just completely farmed it out to, I outsourced it to my friend Alex, who was brilliant. And they organized the whole thing um, and they, they ran it really well. And I, you know, at this point is when I had made my peace with the fact that I don't want to do tournaments ever again as a competitor and as an organizer. Mm-hmm. So from now on, whatever I, any event I organise is not going to have a competition in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the only HEMA events I go to now are the open free play days that my school or my friends in Wales organise. So that's um, something I do. Or I'll go to something like Kings of the North or Fight Camp where it's a big event and competition is only a part of it it's not the main draw i love that i want to go um, i want to go i want to go to fight camp one day i already talked to josh about that <laughs> <laughs> this is the name oh, <laughs> no because like because going back to like what we were talking about like the time spent the emotional labor and the financial part of it when i think about how much money we spent in one year together doing tournaments and traveling and paying for registration fees because they are absurd like the registration fees are not cheap and then you have to pay for every single tournament that you're going to compete in Mm. and i'm looking at the amount and i'm like we could just like go on like a fucking vacation somewhere visit your hema friends (laughs) and learn something and not be sad yeah you could go on a hema road trip yeah, no, actually, that's what that's our plan. That's 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 actually going to be our plan is just do the Hema road trip because I feel like that's what I'm looking for at tournaments, and that's not what I'm getting. Like, I again, like this is not you know the purpose of this is not to diss tournaments and you know 
I mean, it is, but also... I mean, like, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, not, we're not dissing tournament. We're critiquing tournament. We're critiquing it. Be it's, it's yes. Because I do see, I, I do see the, the appeal to the community. It, it appeals to me. The, you know, the, the draw of it and getting people together, right? Adrenaline's a hell of a drug. It is. <sighs> but, um, Depending you know, on how you react but, to it. But I realized <laughs> that, you know, after just trying it out, I'm like, I'm going to give this an honest go. And I realized that I'm a lot happier just, you know, taking, like, classes. Like, we took um, a class from Jess Finley. Recently, she visited Utah. And that was a lot of fun. I realized that I'm totally happy just like doing like cutting tournaments here and there and then just like swinging my sword in my videos in random places I don't yeah. I don't you know I, I would love to do tournaments again but like not in the current like 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 existence because I've been hurt way too much and mm -hmm. for me personally the 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 repercussions of that is not worth it um I I you know it, it was it is definitely a health scare for me um yeah. And it's something that people, I feel like, should think about a little bit more seriously. Um, mm -hmm. Instead of just, seriously. yeah, instead of just attacking people who are critiquing it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, when I, w one of the events I've organized in the past, um, a, a guy turned up who was a sibling of, of one of the organizers. And the, the, the brother... Um, came from a bow hurt background and he just started doing HEMA and he entered the beginners nylon tournament um, which is a bit of a joke really because he's obviously he's been doing bow hurt for a long yeah. time and... how many people died <laughs> well this, this is where uh, my expectations were completely flipped right you, the bow hurt guy enters the nylon tournament you expect people to die what happens is, he said to me and other people, I don't know how you guys can do this. I am so terrified right now. Mm -hmm. Because you're, he said, you're, you're fencing, you're fighting with very little gear on, you've got no protection. What the fuck? Do you know? So yeah. like, we look at Bohurt and we think those guys and girls are crazy. You know, they're just like doing U UFC with, with uh, armor on, but they're protected. That's the point. <laughs> they're yeah, wearing I mean, protective gear. They're not gonna get, you know, they're they're gonna get injured, but it's gonna be different injuries to what we get. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, you guys are basically, you know, taking so much risk. Yeah, uh, fighting like this, you know, mm -hmm. and it kind of is not what I expected to hear. Mm. I mean, obviously, I mean, everyone's got different opinions. Maybe his isn't the average. Uh, her HMB person's outlook on him, and they probably think him is Namby Pamby. But this guy just thought we were completely crazy, you know, fighting without that much protect to his eyes, not very much protective gear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And, you know, to his to his credit, getting hit with a mace at the top of the head when you have a pointy helmet is so much safer than taking um, a horizontal cut. To the head with a fencing mask on. Oh yeah. my god, yes. Like or a thrust. <laughs> yeah, or a thrust to the face. That's yeah. my that's the worst, especially when the tip of the sword has those um the the, the rubber tips that they use for canes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They stick to the mask so much. I've been pezzed a couple of times and the last time I got pezzed that 
send me over the edge. Like that's when I was like, I am not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but it, 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 yeah. Look at look at the current masks that we have, and people, and and that's the thing is like, you know, we we're supposed to be doing like unarmored fencing, but yeah. in 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 the tournament scene, I'm I'm like we're putting more plates on we're putting more protection we have like you know fencing like masks that look like motorcycle helmets now yeah and what exactly are we that's that's the question is like are we really still doing boss fencing like what are we doing yeah there yeah. was an element of things being a little bit safer back in the day when we were using lacrosse kit and gambersons yeah it had to be yeah shinai bring well, back the Hema, the Hanway, bring back the Hanway. <laughs> what a controversial thing to say, Kristen. <laughs> you look at it funny and it bends. Yeah, I mean, that is the, that is one of, we're on the sort of question of kit now, but that is the tightrope that we're walking, isn't it? It's like, do mm. we rely on people or do we rely on gear? And it's, it's always going to have to be both, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like Thierry was saying about the gentle person's agreement has to be part of the culture right. of, of fencing, it, you know, mainly to keep everybody safe, but also because that's how fencing, you know, that's how fencing was conducted in a culture of, of honour mm-hmm. and, you know, rules, very strict rules about behaviour and ways of being it's not just the case of you know let rip in the middle of the ring and, and see what happens right yeah when um when we had uh not this last year's slow but um salt lake open um their first year we had adam franti run a um dusk factual mm-hmm. and it was really interesting because he had a he i love that I, I i it was one of my favorite um, things that I've done in HEMA was attend his lecture and he talked about the idea of you know what like you know how factuals were run and um, the the rules behind it and there's a lot of honor in it like if, if if your opponent works at you know with their hands you don't want to whack their hands right you don't want to cut their hands off um, mm-hmm. so there's like it, I, it reminded me of that like the whole general general person's agreement right that there's going to be a respect in the fact that once we leave the ring, we go back to our respective lives where we have to use our bodies. Mm-hmm. But Jana, that interferes with my fantasy that I'm in the middle of a forest <laughs> dueling for my life against some Italian who said something about me that I found offensive or something. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Also goblins attacking. I don't know. Yeah. And... and- I don't know what this situation the tournament is supposed to replicate is. This is sort of where I think British British swordsmanship sort of like stands up in its own way. Because half of the people we emulate were fighting in a pub with their best mates for money. And they mm-hmm. wanted to be able to do it next Tuesday as well. Yeah. Um, so there was the whole, yeah, we, we fight like... British exhibition matches were sometimes to first blood, but also sometimes to submission mm. um, with semi-blunt swords. And mm-hmm. you don't want to take someone apart. So the fantasy element there is just 
Yeah, prize fight in a pub. You don't want to kill someone. Yeah. You want to put on a good show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Entertaining. Yes. Well, and yeah. it's, there's usually this, I mean, it's, it's that shorthand, right? It's like, oh, well, more historical equals more brutal. And it's like, well, like my husband likes to say, we're not fighting like we don't have penicillin. Yeah, I remember that. He said that during dinner. Yep, that was so yep. funny. Yep. I like so that. it's like, actually, in historically, also, you know, you can't go home and hide behind a computer screen, uh, you know, if you bust somebody up uh, during a tournament where you weren't supposed to bust somebody. Like, yep. It's like there, it's like all the social complications we have and then some. Yeah, I, I, I agree because I think. The, the the that does that tournament um there was different rules right it was a totally different like rule set but josh my man i love him he got his shoulder dislocated during a dosak tournament mm-hmm. in effect with with factual rules and it goes back to like my my it's it's culturally we don't have that as modern people doing this type of activity <laughs> Yeah, you know, what I think is wild is that uh, Americans are fighting like they've got free healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> Slay, girl. Say it. Uh, I, really, I was begging people to help him because his shoulder was just like not, it was in, in, in a natural state. And I was just like, I was, I, I got weak in the knees. I'm like, I'm going to be sick. And, oh, you know, God. the medic couldn't do it. Legally, they can't touch it. Luckily, one of our clubmates is an ER doctor. They were like laying on the table, and he put the arm back in place. And that oh my God. we were lucky. We were lucky. Yeah. I was crying the whole time because I'm like, do I have to take you to a doctor now? Like, what do we do? Oh, yeah, and there is resistance to consequences because we prefer to call those things accidents mm-hmm. rather than you know, there was a point where somebody kind of chose or at least chose to put themselves in a situation where they were willing to hurt somebody. Yeah. Do you give people like a big waiver document to sign and stuff? Like, that happened to me when I went to an event in the States uh, a couple of yeah. times. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they, if they're actually legally binding my my, my, my crystal ball theory is that someday somebody's going to get hurt who actually has the money and the chip on their shoulder to, to make a big deal out of it. Mm. Um, but at the moment, you know, because people in the US, they think that if you, you know, take legal action, you're an a-hole. Mm. Um, like, that, it's like some, some of these cases or these injuries, I'm like, are we sure we're legally safe? But Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember... Uh... In the Sabre tournament, I'm not going to name which event it was, but um, Josh comes to me after the end of the night and he was like, yeah, I saw someone get hit, like just take a cut on the side of the head, the mask with a Sabre and they collapse. And the director comes and tournament organizers comes. They clear him to start fencing again. This guy was like, literally, he fell down and then he was stumbling. You could see that he was not okay. And they just... They're like, yeah, he's fine. Walk it off. It's like, yeah, it's like a bunch of, it's like a bunch of toddlers or something. Yeah. It, it, sometimes it feels that there's not adults in the room. 
Yeah. Everyone's just working from their lizard brain. Everyone. Mm-hmm. The directors, the fighters, the judges. Everyone's not thinking with the, you know, with their adult. And, and, and I hate to say this. They, they, and people have, and say with their test, there were no injuries in the tournament. And I'm like, I, we, we saw some stuff that I'm pretty sure was an injury. But okay, whatever we will make us sleep well at night. And and this is the thing is like I love the idea of co- friendly competition. The, I just hate the way we we do not take safety seriously, injury seriously. Mm-hmm. That turns me. I'm I'm so sad because I've made so many friends in the tournament scene. But it's like, why are we like this? Because <laughs> yeah. I've been in that position where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep... When I got that big blow to the head, I had a goose egg from it. And I'm like, no, I'm going to keep going. I did not take my mask off. I'm like, I'm going I'm going to go and finish this pool. I had two more matches. I, I, I had one more match. And I'm like, you know what? I'm dropping out because this is not... I don't feel good. <laughs> but I had that thing where I'm like, I got to keep going. It's because you've got that sunken cost fallacy going. Yeah. You know, I, I've paid all this money. I was trained all this time. I have to keep going. I'll be letting everybody down if I don't keep going. Yeah, no, it, it was really frustrating because that's how it felt. Like, we spent all this money. Josh and I, you know, we we trained in the gym. Like, we're fencing and we're, like, weightlifting, you know, like, for eight months. And then I had to drop out after three matches. Mm. It, it hurt. It really did hurt to have to do that. Mm. Uh, th- there is a lot of pressure on people. Um, and not to blame the rating system we have, but I was discussing this with one of my other instructors and his partner the other day, that I don't think there is shame in forfeiting if... Say if you get into one exchange and it's with someone who you think is dangerous, yeah. But the judges haven't seen anything yet. Yeah. There, are, there should be a good way of forfeiting without it being seen as a loss. If you mm. believe you're doing it for safety or health. Yeah. 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 There definitely shouldn't be any shame to that. Everyone no. has gone through a fight injured because they're concerned about their hemo ratings. I don't. <laughs> but yeah, I can see that. No, well, that, that's not been a motivator for me, I have to say. Well, yeah. I, I've seen it with a few of the newer people, not necessarily people I've instructed, but people who have been doing this less than three years. And... They see people who have near unblemished records on HEMA ratings, and they're worried about their first loss, mm. or first elimination. It's like, yeah. Eh. If you're worried about being injured, give them the win and forfeit. Yeah, I. So last May, I went on my first open tournament. And uh, I was fighting this guy that I've never, I, I don't know this person. And he was hitting me way too hard. Like he fucked up my arm that weekend. And 
halfway through our exchanges, I went to the director. I, well, I, I asked my, um, my, uh, my, uh, the person that was, uh, you know, watching over me, can you tell the director, can you ask the director to tell the guy to not maybe hit as hard? And so he did. Um, and so the match kept going. I kept fighting this guy. And at one point, the director, and I didn't ask, I only asked one time. After I've asked one time, after a couple of exchanges, the director gives him a yellow card for excessive force. We double out, and he would not shut up about uh, our match. He said that he will never um, go to a tournament where they allow women in the opens because he was looking at the tier A fencers, and they were hitting just as hard as he was. And um, just because I'm a woman, he gets in trouble for it. And I had to hear that with an earshot. And then he was telling like random people at the tournament. And so it was com- it, it was it was getting back to me. Yeah. And you know, I I I, I briefly spoke about this um, on my you know private uh, social media outlet and one of the people that I've met that was in the pool with me, he's a big guy. He's like Terry size. He was like, yeah, he was hitting hard because he busted my thumb through my spaz heavies and I was actually bleeding. Mm. And so, you know, it's like, it, it's so frustrating, um, especially as a woman in HEMA, you know, because they, once again, whenever you have any kind of criticism, they weaponize your 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 gender against you. Mm-hmm. Um, oh well, you can't, you know. And 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 and, and I, I hate that I've had I have to have a validation from a man to feel justified about what I said, about what I experienced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, that's and I I mean I I admire you for like going and being proactive about it because you know I think men and women I don't know how much you know it it changes or if there's a extent to which men or women are more likely to just keep keep it to themselves and try to wear through it rather than you know accuse somebody else of too much force or Mm -hmm. to appear weak Mm -hmm. um even and and because and you know this is my one of my personal things about tournaments because especially in the meta i'm familiar with there's this gray area of too much force or too little force it's people are always going to ride towards too much mm-hmm. yeah um, the feedback loop just isn't tight enough and people are still convinced in some circles that well you need to hit with authority you need to it needs to have a certain amount of you know, forced to it, so we knew it was real, so the judges can hear it, so yada yada, etc. So it has stopping power in real life, where we're definitely fighting with sharp swords. Yeah, and that's it's I've like that. that. I've heard that when I first problem. started. Yeah, I I heard that when I first started because um, I was getting, you know, I was I was able to like hit people, but they're not seeing it. And I was, you know, I I was told, and I've heard this multiple times. You got to probably hit a little harder so they could hear it. You got to thrust a little harder so they see your sword bend. 
And, you know, I'm, you know, I I fight like big guys. I fight, you know, Josh. I fight multiple, I've fought multiple bodies, but I've never, I've never really like in my heart, like, you know, just because someone's big doesn't mean that, you know, I'm going to hit them like hard. And I've never really liked the idea of hitting other people hard. So it was really a struggle for me to intentionally hit hard so that I could get those points or thrust harder than I have to to get those points yeah it was just like it was like a, a like a moral thing for me when I was told that for the first time I'm like what well yeah. I think that goes back to the idea like uh the gentle person's agreement and like it's something of vanguard we drill into our students in lessons you you communicate you get consent because everyone's had those times when they really need an outlet and say in sparring, you say, can we go 100% and just go for it? Yeah. But also in drills, you should be able to say that slightly injured hand or um, I have a big work week next week. Can you hit from the wrists, not from the elbows, say? or no grappling. And I like to do that before tournaments because I'm approaching 300 pounds or 20 stone. And I I stress about hurting people. Mm-hmm. I and, wish more people did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I think a lot of it because I have regularly fenced my friends and seeing my friends off work because of what I do is not a good feeling. Yeah. Um, but in tournaments as well, I- I've noticed um, since I've moved to Scotland, Scotland's uh, saber, the level of is generally better, and but it's also a little bit fightier. But I find that there's more of this before a tournament. The, you'll speak to someone and just have that communication. Mm-hmm. And I reckon that it should be... because I, I didn't get it when I was first into HEMA because it was a study group rather than an instructor's club. In my way of thinking. And but it should be really drilled into students so it stays with them through their tournament career if they choose to have one. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if that would... I, I, I don't know. I don't know your tournament culture, but I know in... in you know, especially when you're dealing with randos, like, you know, just being like, hey, no grappling. Like, I've, I have done that in tournaments before um, when someone was, was injured and just could not, you know, do a grapple. But, like, when when people are, are in the open, like, it just, I don't know, saying, can we ignore part of the rule set so we don't get injured just sounds like... Something someone would call a piece of ring boss over and be like, they're trying to tell me not to do things. Mm. 
I mean, the tournaments that I used to organise, we didn't allow any grappling. Yes, and that's the sensible thing. thing. <laughs> Unless it's like, the grappling. Take that element out. I mean, I love to grapple people. I, I fight like a boxer who has a sword. Mm-hmm. But there's always a time and a place. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, and honestly, some of it's just that the people competing, the people judging, just don't have the the experience, the training, more mm-hmm. beyond the table. Yeah. Uh, so this is another problem that I see chronically in tournaments where there's just this assumption or people hide behind, oh, well, it's a combat sport. Oh, well, they knew what they were signing up for. And if they didn't know what they were signing up for, well, you know, that's just irresponsible on their part. And, you know, there, there's another side to that, which is, I'm not sure that anybody signs up for a tournament thinking, oh, yeah, I'm okay if, you know, I have a life-changing spinal injury for this little sword hobby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like no, nobody's signing up thinking that. Yeah, exactly. Most of them think, well, that would never happen because nobody's that big of an a-hole. Yeah. Yep. But if it happened, I guarantee that would be the excuse. Yeah. It always is. In the heat of the moment, things happen, but before you get into the heat of the moment, you can set up your brain. Like, the rules are there, you know the rules, but you shouldn't want to kill your opponent. I'm I'm just thinking now, when we were talking about, you know, people getting het up in tournaments and uh, fired up and making irrational decisions, whether they're a competitor, a judge, or a director... Like, yeah, let that injured person keep fighting. Yeah, let's keep going because we don't want to lose our place in the HEMA ratings. Um, that And what you're saying, like, adrenaline is a hell of a drug. Yeah, everyone's on that drug. Um, no, one's made, no one's in charge of making good decisions at that point. And I, I think I was listening to a podcast by uh, Kayatan Sadowski when they were talking about the way that they practice in their club which is if they can even detect that someone is adrenalized, they'll be like, right, we're not fighting. Yeah. <laughs> it's too dangerous. Yeah. You know, this person isn't going to be able to control themselves. And they're not going yeah. to learn, strictly speaking. They're not going to learn. They're not going to be able to control their movement. They're not going to be able to control, you know, how hard they're hitting. This is too dangerous. Like, just from looking at someone going, no, they're too adrenalized. Let's not do this. And, you know, that's, I've never as an organiser come across that being on the table. And um, I went to an event recently. It was not co- not competition. It was a, a community event up in Birmingham. And I was asked to complete a risk assessment. I don't know if you do this stateside where you have to do this uh, if, uh, like, uh, insurance companies. You have to do a risk assessment and just list all the things that could go wrong and what you're going to do to mitigate them or, or what you know what you're going to do to prevent that from happening um like you know people tripping on bags or whatever or mm-hmm. people being hit by swords what are you going to do <laughs> um we'll make sure that the the fences um you know use appropriate force or we'll make sure that all their kit is up to sta- a particular standard you know it's not broken or rusty or ill-fitting um and when i was at this event the organizer said that when they 
right risk assessments, one of the things that they include is, is there, is there a potential for trauma? Wow, really? <laughs> yeah. Is this event, does this event have the potential to cause trauma to anyone? Visually, you know, or not just physically, but anything, you know, what could happen that could traumatise someone at this event? And I think we could probably agree that we've all been traumatised by competition. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, uh, I, I, and it doesn't even have to be a competition because I was, when, she, when she told me this, like, is there a potential, does, you know, including your risk assessment, whether there is a potential for trauma and how you're going to deal with that. I remember like a guy who came to my school, he was so keen to start fencing. Um, he was really excited and he was emailing us and going, I can't wait to start. <clears throat> and he took part in our warm up. And the first part of the warm up is you're running around the room like a lot of folks do for, you know, warming up the body. And he tripped and he fell and he broke, he landed badly on his collarbone and he <gasps> uh, broke oh, his collarbone on day one. Oh my gosh. Um, was signed off for six months, had to have several surgeries. Oh my. And he was like, I'll, I'll be back, I'll be back. You know, I can't wait to come back and start with you again. And he came back in the room after he'd recovered from his surgeries and everything. And the, he saw the warm up and people started running around the room and he just had to leave. <laughs> yeah. It just, it just triggered him so badly. He's like, I, I can't, you know, I can't bear to see or hear people running around the room. It suddenly just brought it all back. Um, and I feel awful and I can't, you know, he couldn't go in the room while that was going on. That is trauma. That sounds like trauma. So, you know, yeah. when we're sort of questioning safety, yeah. whether people are looked after, it goes a lot deeper than just physical injury. I agree. And I know we love, like, we, we that's something that very, very, a, a very small amount of people talk about in the open. I know we've spoken about the mental health aspect of it, like the, the injury, the, the, the trauma. Um, and, you know, more recently for me, that's kind of how I feel when, you know, I picked up, I, I sprained my ankle like back in October and I picked up my sword for the, you know, for the first time and like swung it around like the other day. And I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling really good. I can totally start, you know, fencing again. And when I thought about putting my gear on and putting my mask on and remembering the, the times that I've been hit in the head, I just start sweating. I'm like, you know what? I don't feel good about this. Oh. And it's, it's, it kind of sucks. Like, I hate it. I hate that I have that, that part in my brain that is afraid now mm. of being hurt because the repercussions for me has been, it, 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 it made a big impact on my life in the past, like, year. Mm. I, I, I've been able to see, you know, like, how detrimental the TBI was for the things that I do for my daily life and it's it sucks try not to cry because I love Hema I love fencing I love so many people in the community but now I have this 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 fear <laughs> yeah, this is what we were saying Ajana about it's like having an abusive partner yeah <laughs> isn't it it's like it's like being in a relationship with someone who 70% of the time is loving and cares for you and makes you feel good but uh, there are just those moments where, you know, they lash out and they surprise you and you think, why am I putting up with this? Yeah. 
and then they go back to being sweet again and you're like oh okay maybe it's not so bad maybe you know it's just one of those things that we just have to accept and deal with yeah yeah and yeah and it's hard um because you know I'm like planning on like you know like I have like all of these like things that I want to learn but I'm like I don't know if I'll be able to get over the fact that I'm probably like traumatized from being you know like not really gravely injured but like injured enough that it's affecting my brain for yeah your daily life your you know it's life-changing it really is it I, I was I was in school for eight months and it made learning very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think also from a, a community view, as well as just looking after the people we're sensing, it would be, so we all love the community and we are a bit of a cult. No. <laughs> yes. We want more minions. And as well as just looking after people out of purely selfless reasons, there should also be the selfish aspect of safety mentally and physically should be a higher priority for retention. Because we all know people who have bowed out or quit the hobby for any of the previous reasons. Yeah. And Uh, a lot of times they won't tell you the real reason. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Especially Um, YouTube, because we're really bad at that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we, this is like survivor bias, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I sometimes feel like the one too dumb to quit. Yeah. We're not getting the input of all those people who've left. We don't know why they left. Yeah. We don't know how many left. Yeah. We don't know how many didn't take it up in the first place. Yeah. And why? Yeah. Well, and you the know. other thing, when I tried to think about, you know, what, what safe looks like in a club and what unsafe looks like, one thing I realized is that as an instructor, I've created a safe place for me just just in my position. Because, mm-hmm. like, yeah. I don't need to free fence. I don't need to feel pressure to free fence because I'm the instructor. I because I'm the one with the authority because I get to say what we do. It's like I don't know if I would have stayed if I did not have a position of authority because I don't know if I would have felt safe. Right. Yeah. That kind of makes me go back to what Terry Terry was saying earlier about you know you got to know more about teaching than fighting to be an effective coach and an effective instructor. Yeah, because I I definitely think, uh, so this is something that I borrowed from my first instructor down in Portsmouth. Learning, uh, knowing how to teach is harder than knowing how to do. There are loads of great fencers who I have watched them do workshops and they suck. Yeah. Yeah. From an educational point of view, as well as a look-after-yourself point of view, because learning how to teach is a separate skill Mm -hmm. to learning how to fight. Yeah. 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 I think people, it's very rare to find someone who is a really good fencer and a good teacher. 
I mean, you could say that that just comes with experience. Like, you know, the longer you've been doing it, the, obviously the better you're going to be at fencing and the better you're going to be at teaching. But I think in, as a community, we have a tendency to kind of go, they're a good fencer. They must be a great teacher too. Yeah. No. Because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, like, there's soft skills involved in it. Both my parents are, te- are teachers and it's, it's, it's a separate skill from teaching and actually doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that goes back to, you know, what you were talking about with um, because of the current culture that we have where tournaments take up so much, you know, it, it has so much stock in someone standing in the community. That's why we have instructors who think that, who double, who, who, who have this, these dark thoughts, you know, that they're not good enough because they can't hack the tournament. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, we were talking about the potential for trauma in tournaments and such and I can't help but think how many people are fighting their gear more than anything else and mm-hmm. how <laughs> that you know it's like that that can screw with your head and it's like oh maybe I'm not as good at this and it's like well that's because this gear is stopping you from protecting yourself and how yep. much they then blame themselves for you know the hits they take it's like oh that was that was my fault I could have done something it's like no no you're victim blaming stop yeah Mm -hmm. that's how I felt when I switched from my spaz um heavy uh you know my my jacket and just swapped it out with an Olympic fencing jacket that has plates on it and wore a plastic on it a lot of people do it's crazy some people but it's a good idea crazy some people call me crazy because I, I, I competed in an open with that. But you know what? That was the best, like, in personally, in terms of personal goals, that was the best I fence because I can actually fucking move and raise my fucking arms. Yeah. yeah. And it might you actually know, prompt people not to gear. hit so dang hard. Yeah. And, and, and not only that, like, I got the same bruises that I got with a padded jacket. It was the same. It was in, like, a similar area. And actually, it was, it, it was, it was, when, whenever people will say, well, you know, before, um, you know, when, whenever we talk about gear and safety, they're always like, well, if you wear less gear, it's just going to be risky, you know, and, and you're just opening your butt. Are we not doing the same thing? Because people have this idea that if you have more gear on, they can hit you harder. Yeah. 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 They, they don't have to, you know, fence to just a touch or any of that stuff. So, I mean, for me, like, I took that risk because I actually felt like I could fence better. Therefore, I could defend myself better. Um, you know, and I, and I did fine. I didn't get, I, I really didn't get injured in, you know, the open. And, um, well, except for that one guy that, you know, messed up my forum. But other than that, like, I was fine. Like, it wasn't, like, nothing that I could have not done in a padded jacket um but you know when it comes to like masks that's a totally different thing but like my point is you know what are we i don't know what are we doing (laughs) what are you doing what am i doing like because it was definitely risky on my part like to this day i keep getting like comments whenever i post videos of me or pictures of me in my current fencing gear they're like how are they letting you compete in that kit uh um, so yeah, so we, we can pivot to the part two, which is safety versus authenticity. Um, mm. since we're in that, um, mode, uh, 
we're talking about like everybody's talking about the Siggy Forge light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody's like, you know, everybody's saying, well, it's not about the 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 swords that are coming out that's light and some some people are saying well it actually is it's about like sportification blah blah blah. so there's been a lot it's been an interesting week because i'm seeing a lot of opinions come out of this and um you know we do have terry and fran who are super um uh, uh knowledgeable in terms of like um, the history of weapons and stuff. So, like, what what, what do you make? Um, what do you make of this? Would you like to go first, Fran? Yeah. No, 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 you go. I, I'm going to go to the smallest room very quickly. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, I I'm also coming at this from the point of view that I've been doing HEMA for around a decade. And I am just about to buy my first longsword. Um, so I have had a real deep dive into feathers. Because mm-hmm. for a, a decade, I have been opposed to longsword because eh, um, <laughs> you don't have as much fun with your tickle in hand. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've been enjoying it this little drama and I'm actually tempted by the Siggy light um, there is a bit of me that is still a a bit of a Hema bro okay. my mm-hmm. favourite broadsword was almost two kilos and I loved it so the, the, there's a bit of me thinking yeah, biggest long sword big sword um, <laughs> But also, there's the bit of me that was fencing broadsword and saber for years before I seriously picked up a small sword. And I think there is a similar merit to having a less weighty sword because you may not get the same satisfying bonk as you hit someone. Mm-hmm. But it's going to hone skill. Right. And being able... Like, at this point in my HEMA career, and being a big guy, I have found out that I can do almost the same thing without putting power behind it. And Mm -hmm. I reckon it's a viable sword. And I may get one, even if it's just to annoy people. (laughs) <laughs> best reason to get a sword no other yep. <laughs> oh my head instructor is going to hate me for this because I have one normal sword the rest are weird customs or abominations I've made myself <laughs> um, so he's just begging me to get a normal long sword and I'm now looking at the Siggy light and thinking let's put six side rings on it <laughs> Would they be butt-shaped? Oh, I would love to have a butt pommel. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I like the Siggy Light um, as a concept. Of course, I've never held one. But I think they're going to be a viable training and tournament tool. And if people are worried about sportification in HEMA, 
don't do tournaments because that's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's hilarious that people complain about sportification in HEMA while using a feather. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sports sword. That's what it was designed for. Yeah. It's not and... for hurting people. It's for a game. And the amount of original feathers there are um, still in a good quality existence that we can measure isn't that many. Mm. And we have more illustrations of people with feathers than we do of actual feathers. So yeah. we have no idea of the size of these people because, yeah, if some of the feathers were being carried by people my size... Yeah, they're big swords. If some of the illustrations are depicting people a foot smaller than me, like, they're not very big at all. Mm -hmm. So we're just... We are guessing a lot of this. And yeah. say let people have fun with it. Right, right. I'm just curious, um, uh, taking a break from, like, the city light situation... Um, I know that you know you deal with like real swords, antique weapons, and I've never seen like I've I've only seen one an antique small sword. I've never seen any other ones um, that you know of different kinds. So I'm curious, like you know what 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 does it look like like compared to like the stuff that we're using for for training and tournaments compared to like actual fucking pieces. Like in terms of like the way it looks, the way it handles, the way the weights and stuff. I've always been curious about that because I see a lot of debate, you know, with, with with people in the community about authenticity and what we do. Well, with like using small swords is a good example because I love small swords. I've had about five hundred of them in the last few years. Oh my gosh. I know I have a problem. I uh, need to come visit you so bad, dude. I just want to like. Yeah. Yeah, Grab my is a spiky tetanus hellhole, but I love it. <laughs> um, but small swords, the ones we fence with are pretty much all kind of on the smaller side. Because we there are small swords for wearing or mourning. Um, mm. And those are the ones that we fence with. Okay. But then you have the really big ones because I think the l people are going to disagree with me on this um, because it's a big ass small sword. But the biggest small sword that I would say is a small sword and not a Fort Epee, which was the military version that I've had, has been about 700 grams, which is a smallish saber. They can be hefty. And the small swords we use are the sportier versions. They look like the dueling pairs we have, which, yeah, they were for taking people's lives. But in, a, at the time, mainly a gentleman's game. Mm -hmm. are, I've only held three original feathers. They were all later on in the period that they were used. And they all felt completely different. 
Interesting. And a lot of what we're doing is guesswork. Right, right. Yeah. We can't be too... I don't know. I, I, it's, it's been interesting. Like, I, I, I see so much passion in the discourse surrounding, you know, the the... the the idea of you know changing things like changing the tools that we use and so it's just been interesting to see what everybody's saying because people are saying different things um i mean ultimately unless they're unless we're going to have some rule where it's like the the size and weight of your fetter has to correspond to your size and weight which i mean if you wanted to reinforce the narrative that you know heavier people should use heavier fetters that would be a great way to do it but But... i i don't i don't think that's actually the case Mm -hmm. there's enough variety in the sharps we still have that it, it just seems a moot point to freak out about somebody using a lighter sword to win because i don't i don't think that's how it works no I, I, I think it's funny when people think having a lighter, lighter feather is going to make people fight in a more sporty way. Yeah. Is holding a feather going to make you suddenly have sporty attributes? You're suddenly going to start moving faster and, and uh, you know, being stronger. Yeah. People already exploit those attributes. Why would, yeah. why would they not do that? Exactly. They're already already doing that as they should. They're just just gonna sacrifice the blade presence. Are they? Why won't somebody say anything about the blade presence? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a sword is just, you know, it's strong in its length. It's gonna, if you can't, if you're not, if you're relying on the weight of the sword to be able to perform well, then you just what you're saying is that the sword is what's making you a good fence and not your skill, not your exactly. attributes. Exactly. Yeah, sword presence is a state exactly. of mind. <laughs> yeah. That needs to be in a bumper sticker. I <laughs> like the firmly magic believe that mo- I firmly believe that most fencing is belief. <laughs> most like fencing is belief too. Yeah, just just believe you can fight. Fight. <laughs> Like if you are having trouble binding, like there is the whole thing of yeah, get good, don't blame yeah. tools. Yeah. And the only way we can get around this and get rid of the sportification is get rid of tournaments, which no one wants to do because they are a fun part of what we do. If you're in, uh huh, absolutely. Or go to the old dueling system of have a matched pair, and then you take one each. Yeah. But that would be prohibitively expensive, especially for people like me who are obsessed with buying new weird swords. <laughs> I was I mean, like, if you're tournament provided the weapons, you couldn't use your own. Um, and what I found there is, if you provide, if the if the competition provides the weapons and it's not people's own swords, they smash the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and that causes injuries in itself. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's it, the, the, this, uh, the, it's, it's been interesting. This is the first time I'm seeing such like 
visceral reaction over something i was super excited over it and then i saw all of the comments i'm like what is happening well and it's so weird because like you know tell me everybody in your club is around the same height weight and age without telling me yeah and and i i also you know i didn't really necessarily agree with people who are saying well i'm gonna have an issue if someone who's 300 pounds you know, start like using the light. Like I can see it for someone like myself. I'm small. I'm four ten. You know, but like there are people who are saying that stuff, and I'm like, do like like bigger people not have like joint issues or like I don't know, like you know, muscle problems? Like it, it's like the I can see like you know like the the the, the able bodied privilege just, mm-hmm. just showing as someone who has. Um, an autoimmune condition where I have joint issues. I have arthritis early on in my life. You know, that's why I always like say like, you know, sometimes I'm gaslighting myself thinking, you know, whenever I'm putting together like gear and I talk about like how heavy certain things are, how ill-fitting they are. It's because I'm trying to like say, I it, it I would like to be able to participate in this with my mm-hmm. friends but now I'm like, am I just complaining so much? Should I just grin and bear it? Should my extra small spaz heavies enough? Should I just not keep complaining that I have like five fucking pairs of expensive, um, you know, uh, gloves or longsword that I've accumulated in like a span of like two years? But it's not good enough for me because I'm not, it's hurting me physically. Um, and you know, I, I, am I complaining so much? Am I? It, 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 am I the problem? Right? No, no you're not. And so I, I, I'm getting to that point because I'm not getting what could work for me. And again, it goes back to like I hear every time I talk about this, whether on my podcast, but especially on social media, there is always a bunch of dudes saying, "Well, this has not been my experience. You can do <laughs> Hema in a lot of ways." <laughs> And I'm like, okay, but are you like 4'10 and like 130 pounds? Like, please <sighs> enlighten me of something that I do not know. Well, it's almost like they're defend. I mean, they're defending the idea of HEMA. They're defending, you know, that the that there can be a problem for somebody that isn't them. Right, right. It's and, or maybe just to be perfect. heard. I don't know. It's very weird. Yeah. And- and and that's the thing is like I, it's not just me it's like people like people that have different you know like like either health issues people on the other side of the size spectrum mm-hmm. like why are we not like why 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 are we like having so much issue in this because I'm already what I'm already seeing is that I've seen people who are about my size or just a little bit taller than me already using very very long beefy swords. So why are we, why, why, why are we, you know, I compete with my, with my mini, um, which is a short sword. It's, you know, it's, it's fairly light. Um, I have a shorty. I've done one tournament with it, two tournaments with it. It's, it's good for the reach, but it's heavy. It hurts mm-hmm. me. Um, so I have been, I've been using my mini. It's a, it's a tiny sword, you know, and, and, and I love it, but you know, we're already doing people are already doing that like i I, and kristen um you know recently got the castile um light fetter which is even lighter than the siggy light 
which came out what like two months ago or something, Kristen? Uh, yeah, something like that. October. And nobody has said anything about it. This is why I think it's funny because this isn't the first light sword. No. Yeah. It's it's not the first light sword, and and folks who say things like you know a three hundred pound six foot guy is going to pick up the light sword and and you know start swinging around like it weighs nothing. He does that already with regular swords. Mm-hmm. He's strong. They're exactly. And I'm if I get one, I'm mainly going to be getting one because I've been doing HEMA ten years. I I I remember having cartilage. <laughs> <laughs> the sensation is gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I want to have cartilage later. The point is that a lighter sword doesn't mean it gives an advantage to the strong. It means that the weaker people or the physically, you know, less able people have a chance. Yeah. They yeah. can participate. They can, you know, when you give boffers to noobs, they move around so much better. Not not their fencing is crap, but their footwork, yep. their movement, mm-hmm. the speed at which they can move, the confidence that they have compared to when you give them a big heavy sword. You know, it's a lot of difference. So giving someone a light, it's like the same, same thing happens if you give people a small sword if they've only ever held a rapier. Yeah. They're just more confident because they're not restricted by they're not fighting against the weight of the weapon yeah Mm -hmm. and the thing is the other thing i've observed is that when you get an experienced person you know who's been using a sword that's heavier or just the right set the right weight for them and then you give them the lighter thing the worry is like oh well if you use something too light you'll always cheat you'll always you know find these biomechanical shortcuts that you couldn't do with the heavier sword but somebody who's experienced who's used the the heavier thing, when you give them a lighter thing, they still move like it's heavy. Mm. Like they were when they move better or they move quicker, but they don't take the shortcuts because they're just it's just not in in their body. They're not gonna start flailing around because they train too much to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's it's it, it, I, I think you know, there's people who's also saying that, you know, when when these, it's not about it's not about the um, the 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 weapon exists. I've seen um, other people say this. It's not a, it's not that there's there's anything wrong with um, having lighter weapons because we understand accessibility. Um, but they're like, well, but it it's gonna it's it's just gonna erase like the historical in HEMA. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I, I think so that's much, trash. <laughs> there's so much variety in historical swords, and buying a sword to suit you so you can win is HEMA. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Like, one thing I do is look through logs of Wilkinson swords. And you see people who special ordered. Can I have an extra bar over the thumb? Can I have an extra inch and a half of blade? Like buying swords to help you fight good is HEMA. Because I'm a tall guy. I'm over six foot. But I'm all torso. I have like average size arms. Most of my swords have longer blades just so I can deal with people who have limbs. 
Because, <laughs> for example, uh, Fran, our last uh, small sword belt, um, last year, early last year. Kings of the North. Yeah, you took me apart. Because <laughs> you, we have the same reach, despite me having almost a foot of height on, on you, or about a foot. Yeah, at least a foot. Yeah, um, and if I could have an extra two inches of small sword, and it would have been like it's not as if all small sword blades are the same length anyway. Like uh, a Type Five is thirty-five inches. I, I've recently just purchased a Type Five small sword or Number Five small sword blade, and. It's not going to make me win. It will help me not lose. Mm -hmm. Everybody has advantages and disadvantages, whether it's joints or length. Right. And choosing your sword for your body is HEMA. Mm -hmm. And yep. I'm just enjoying watching a lot of weird, bad takes and implosions. <laughs> Great existential crises. Yep. Yeah. 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 I, uh, what, I think the maximum length for a saber in the UK is like 97 centimeters in the blade or something like that. I think it's longer than my long sword. Oh, no, 87 centimeters in the blade, I think. Um, I'm bad at this. I just bring whatever swords I have that aren't rusty at the time. And. <laughs> I would be scared of someone who has longer limbs than me using the same sword that I do. But I'm not going to whinge about it. I'm just going to try and take their arm to pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if there is an art in the art, it's learning how to do it with your body and freaking mm -hmm. out about the tools that other people are using when they already have an entirely different body from you. It just seems... It... Just, just it, it, it seems noobish. It seems like it's a noobish thing to fixate on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's kind of like a which sword is the best question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, if, you were, yep. if it was the zombie apocalypse, what would you pick? It's like a friends. katana that's been folded a million times. <laughs> Obviously. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's, this also leads back to not taking HEMA so seriously because mm -hmm. in um, so at Vanguard we do a bear pit like lots of clubs do for birthdays and for a while I was using a HEMA hanger the blade is something like 20 inches and I was fighting rapiers I did okay didn't <laughs> floor Mm -hmm. But if you take Hema less seriously, you're more likely to get into silly matchups. And if you enter like a Lady Luck tournament, just enjoy it more rather than stressing about the sport. And you'll be in a place yeah. to learn more. Yeah, yeah. I I needed I needed this uh this conversation with with y'all today because mm -hmm. I. I've been, it's been weighing heavy on me and then seeing like everybody's 
you know, takes all week. And I'm just like, I don't know how to feel anymore about all of this. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, to me, you know, as someone who's been just battered by some of these fat ass fetters, I'm, I would rather like get hit in the face with a lighter sword personally um than the ones that i've taken and i've eaten in the past you know Mm -hmm. um and i'm not and i'm sure people who are bigger than me also feel that way i am my first sword my my first sword I studied was side sword then rapier and I came to long sword a bit later in my HEMA career, um, which I've I've been doing HEMA since twenty ten, and um, I I remember I was at I was I'd had a, a couple, I'd had a few long sword fights and I just thought long sword's really unwieldy it feels unwieldy to me and it's mm-hmm. difficult and I'm not used to using these muscles and it's I don't think I'm going to get into it. But I remember being at fight camp and there was a seller who had a stall and they had um, a VB sword and I just picked it up. And it was, I don't know what the, the style of the the feather is, but I remember I made a noise. And when I make a noise, that's a good thing. You know, when you pick up a sword, you pick up a sword and you go, oh, yeah. Yeah, like the Harry yes, Potter I, one. I, I, I... I am too familiar with that noise. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did. I did the noise, and I was like, I, "I want this. I want this sword." It was light. It was short. And I was like, "Hang on, maybe long sword isn't so bad." Mm-hmm. And I bought this. I bought this uh, VB sword. I've still got it. It's got a bit of a. It's taken a bit of a set, but I still love it. And it just opened up longsword for me, mm-hmm. which is kind of the argument that I was making in my post about why I'm pro lighter feathers is I'm not that strong um, in the upper body. And, you know, people might disagree with me because I can, I can fence with the side sword just fine. I can fence with the rapier and dagger just fine. But, you know, for longsword, because it's a different skill set, a different thing that I'm not that as used to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's suddenly like the things I wanted to do that I weren't, I wasn't able to do. Now I could, in the same way that having gear that fits you or is protective enough suddenly improves your fencing by you know by light years. It just yeah opens mm-hmm. everything up. Suddenly you just feel competent. Um, and I think having a lighter sword that you're not struggling with in terms of um strength and dexterity means that you're going to achieve competence quicker you're going to get confident better which yeah. means you're going to be you're actually going to be a safer person to fence with mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. are we I, it's so funny I, I'm a, I, every time we talk i'm always like are we the same person because <laughs> because last year also i discovered a vb also a vb fetter and it's the their feather one and I picked it up, and I'm like, oh, why is this so light? Yeah. And I competed with it, and I love that thing. And you yeah. know me, like, ever since, like, I'm, I'm such a Siggy fangirl, but this VB feather, I'm just like, wow, like, it's got, like, some good length, or it's got good flex, and it's light AF. Mm. Yeah, it's a lovely sword. <laughs> yeah, talking about um, lighter swords... 
or the sword suited to you giving good form. Uh, I think we had this conversation last year, or it might have even been the year before, about how all of us kind of wished we had picked up small sword earlier. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, all of us. Yeah. I'm not strong enough for small sword. <laughs> That's not true. Oh. oh, my poor little wrists. Well, and my deltoids, but I do feel like I'm not strong enough for small sword a lot of the time. Uh, I mean, I do lots of twirly whirly stuff, so I bind my wrists before every fight and stop my hands flying off. <laughs> Maybe useful. Um, yeah, small sword, I think, is the best teaching tool. My first mm -hmm. syllabus that I wrote and taught at Vanguard is um, British small sword in opposition to French small sword. But I think it provides, like, the lighter sword and just using your body rather than the, than the sword provides such good fundamentals that mm -hmm. there can't be any problem with a lighter longsword. It will, like you were saying, the fundamentals and the confidence make people safe and they make yes. people improve exponentially faster. Yeah. I think my first broadsword was a Fabri Armorum. And those things are tanks. Like they're they're functionally immortal, but <laughs> they do no favors for your arms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I th I think that's why Regenyates have got so heavy and chunky. It's for immortality. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it doesn't it doesn't want the swords to break? So, you know, they're they're solid. But yeah. I don't know. I, I, what, well, what is the consensus on that? Because I feel like for me personally, I, you know, I feel like, and, and this is just from being influenced by like the sort of people that I'm around with, like swords are tools and are, should be consumables. Like why do we need immortal swords, especially if we're hitting each other with it? Mm, yeah. Especially okay. the whole, you know, like, no, my sword is unbreakable. Okay, but you're breaking people with it. Yeah, the consumable items, you know, I don't expect a side sword to last more than three years, for example. Um, mm. When you buy a rapier, you tend to buy a couple of blades at the same time. Yeah, same with um, small sword. Yeah, same with small sword, because it's, it's not going to last. It's, especially, you know, we're expecting these things to flex. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's going to take its that's going to take its toll. Um, but nobody wants floppy and humor. What? <laughs> This is trauma for me because I've had three swords break on me in the last six months. <laughs> Press F. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I guess we can uh, like start wrapping up um, our conversation. Uh, any like last thoughts in terms of what we talked about today? Um, it's been really helpful. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming in it's been you know i it, 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 i i'm really appreciative because this has been a while since i've done this um and i think it's a good way to start restart everything um yeah uh any last words y'all um i would say if you are an instructor 
medals aren't validity it's the quality of the people that you taught and their you know how good they are as fences that speaks to your ability um you know i i don't lean on the number of medals that i've won to sort of uh speak for me i i think about the hundreds of people that i've taught over the years and the community that that i've built around me not mm. not my performance in the ring um not even their performance in the ring to be honest yeah you know, the, 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 whether you know when my students go I want to go to do, compete in tournament these days my outlook I'm not going to be going right I'm going to prepare you and make you the greatest fence there is I'm just going to make sure they're safe mm-hmm. and that they get the most out of it and that you know mentally and physically they're prepared that's all I can do mm-hmm. it's a bit like being a parent and watching your kid go out into the world and just hoping that it all goes well yeah um, and in terms of you know the physical object the sig- the siggy light lighter swords if you're worried about sportification we're already there mm-hmm. <laughs> we were already there 400 years ago get over it yeah um riffing off what fran said for me as an instructor it's it, it's watching people's personal journey i mean sword fighting is scary you know as is all the other social stuff, picking up a new hobby and, you know, being the noob. And for me as an instructor, you know, what was most satisfying wasn't, you know, watching them go and win tournaments. It's just watching them get more confident in their body, being able to move with more grace and confidence. It's, you know, watching their eyes light up when something finally clicks and makes sense. And, you know, helping them through those plateaus where they're like, oh, I feel like I'm getting worse. I feel like I'm not progressing. And you reassure them. It's like, no, when you walked in here, you were like a baby deer. You look so much better. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> you know, get get that drunk girl in the bathroom energy. It's like, no, you're doing great. Oh, my gosh. You are so <laughs> graceful. Baby deer. Yeah. Baby all right. And, you know, watching them get, get through that stuff. And... Mm-hmm you know, take on the, the, the scary things and, you know, just the grins on their face when, you know, they, they've been able to, to free play or spar or um, mostly free play. And, yeah, just seeing them get happy doing something that's hard. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's where I get it. Uh, so, for me, wrapping up... Um... I would say, rather than addressing instructors, I would like to address uh, students and more new team offensive. Uh, As I have around 10 people from my club going to their first tournament, I just want to emphasize, if you get a medal, great. But I will be far more impressed with you if experienced fencers talk about you after. Yeah. Make them remember you. Mm. And yeah. In a good way. In a good way. Yeah. Don't get In a good way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be be that guy. (laughs) Make people impressed with you, rather. Mm -hmm. Do something flashy. Land something almost impossible. Mm. Have a goal that isn't necessarily, oh, I'm going to take gold. Mm-hmm. And 
if you don't want to have a goal, just have fun. Yeah. And uh, on the subject of the Siggy Saber, the Siggy Fedders and uh, sportification, if you don't want to see sportification, don't do tournaments. Mm -hmm. Just, mm -hmm. again, have fun with your friends. Yeah. What I will also say is for anyone who finds the drama about Siggy Fedders really funny, custom order a lighter sword, please. <laughs> Just have fun with it. All right. Well, thank you again for coming to the podcast. Um, this concludes our um, discussion today, and um, I will see you guys on the next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to support the podcast, please go to patreon.com forward slash swords against humanity.